This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z out of Brisbane, Australia. Listening to Only Human with Kim and Robin. I'm Belle. So today we're talking to Robin Gulliver. She's a multi award winning environmentalist, writer, research, researcher, and she served as um, an organizer and leader of numerous local and national environmental organizations. She was born in New Zealand and she spent the last decade advocating for and writing about environmental issues for activist groups, local councils, not for profit organizations, and academia. So, thank you for joining us, Robin. Could you tell us a little bit about your path to research? To research? Yeah. Well, I guess I've always been interested in the environment, and perhaps some listeners will resonate with this when it probably started with David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. David okay, Attenborough yeah. documentaries, yeah. <laughs> As a child in New Zealand, I watched a lot of them. But I think that I first became aware of environmental issues in my 20s, perhaps, when uh, I spent a lot of time working on orchards, so picking, pruning, packing, all sorts of things like that. Yeah. And I had a job thinning uh, fruit, apple trees. Mm-hmm. That means taking off the little fruit from between the big fruit on the okay, apple trees. Yeah. And I saw them spraying something on the orchard. I didn't quite know what it was, so I asked them, and I found out they were spraying sun cream. So oh. they actually had to spray sun cream on the fruit to stop them being damaged. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that was probably 25 years ago. And that's when that idea of there's an environmental sort of situation out there actually in my mind became an environmental problem. Mm. So from that point, I was involved in uh, quite a bit of activism, I guess. And my research happened when I moved to Brisbane from Western Australia. And I had been aware of all of these activists who have so much lived experience, just decades and decades of trying to do stuff for the environment. And also the, the need for more empirical evidence about what actually works. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of time to compile that empirical evidence. Mm. And I had the time and I had the will and I had the energy, so I thought I'll do it. And yeah. that's why I became a researcher. Yeah, so that ties into the um, empirical evidence, um, I guess, sorting out what's effective activism and what's less so. Exactly. And you can imagine how complicated it is. Mm. There's this huge vein of research on social movements Mm. and how they work, who gets involved and what happens in them and as a result of their actions. But the lack of ability to compile massive databases about the groups and what they do and who they target and what they ask in the past has made it really difficult to see what works. So we have lots of case studies and lots of really great history and theories about social movements and environmental movements, but uh, it's only really been with the rise of Facebook and online data and the internet that Mm -hmm. we can start to get this information and then track what groups do and what actually happens as a result of what they do. Right. So could you um, fill us in a little bit about the um, the outcomes? What did your research find about effective activism? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, firstly, it's it's when we talk about outcomes, it's always good to think what was the particular environmental group mm-hmm. hoping to achieve. Yeah. So obviously, as a whole in society, most of us right now would just like our environmental problems to be solved. Yes. Wouldn't we? We would. Yes. We would. <laughs> We'd just like climate change to be gone. But that's not generally how groups can focus their work because that's too big a goal. It's Mm. not achievable. So what I looked at was campaigns, 
mm-hmm. and then what each of those campaigns that the group runs, what they want to achieve. So a really good example of a campaign is the Stop Adani campaign. Most of you have probably heard of it. Yep. And it's clear in that campaign what they want to achieve. They want to stop Adani. They want to stop a coal mine. Mm-hmm. So I looked at all of the groups that I could find. So there's more than 2,000 that wow. I found. Is that in Australia? In Australia. And that's just right. really environmental sort of advocacy. doesn't include groups like the bush care and the land care groups, the mm-hmm. tree planting groups. So yeah. it's this massive, vibrant movement, right? Mm-hmm. So I looked at the groups and then I looked at what campaigns they do. In 2017, when I got the first lot of data, there was over 1,000 campaigns. That's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah. So there's a huge amount of activity. I tried to work out what each of those campaigns wants to achieve. So I looked at the words they use. And then two years later, I looked to see if it had been achieved. Mm -hmm. And I found that uh, actually lots of campaigns do achieve success. Now, we can't state definitively that if I'm in an environmental group and I'm campaigning on something, that my actions actually result in that outcome. So, for example... I was involved in a group. We wanted to get Brisbane City Council to divest from fossil fuels. Yes. That means take their money out of fossil fuels. Yeah. Well, let's say hypothetically they had divested, which they didn't, but let's say they did. I couldn't really say if it was our group's actions. Mm-hmm. But putting that to one side, what I did find is that almost half of the campaigns achieved the goal in some sense, mm-hmm. and the most successful ones were those that targeted businesses. Right. Okay. That's really interesting and also really positive to hear that uh, I think perhaps there's maybe a misconception about um, people feeling, well, maybe there is no point in um, doing anything. Sorry. Uh, (laughs) That's just me on social media. Um, So, yeah, that's really affirming. That's really good. Yeah. And I know when you've been, I was involved in Friends of the Earth myself for a very long time. And I guess after a long time, you feel like you're repeating you know remaking the wheel every few years you've got to go back to the same campaigns over and over again is that the sort of thing you found in your research not so much in my research but in my in my personal activism absolutely because you 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 don't get to see that big picture this is the joy that I have in Mm. doing the research that I I get to survey it all from afar if you like so I can see so many campaigns and so many positive outcomes and that helps me put all the negative stuff to one side But certainly for those people who have been involved for a long time, and I have had projects interviewing activists who are involved for a long time, it can be a real struggle. It's really, really hard. Almost all activists are volunteers. So they need to, you need to get something out of your efforts, right? You need to feel like you're actually achieving something. And if you're involved in campaigns that are not achieving their goal, or it feels like they're not achieving their goal, then it can be hard to keep Mm. going over the long term. And like you said, if it's a long-term campaign that it it doesn't have an immediate um, win, then you you can feel like it's something that you're just hitting your head against a brick wall on. Yes, but it's so good to see. It's why some of the the sort of new designs that I've seen in the campaign structures are really, really positive as well because they might have a big goal, um, net zero emissions in Australia by 2050, but they break it up as well. Um, School Strike for Climate is a good example. Mm -hmm. I think it's got three specific goals and pathways to those goals so that you can feel like you've achieved a step on your pathway, even if we still can't get the government to commit to a net zero target. Mm. Those young activists are really inspiring, like school students taking action. And I think, I imagine they'd be quite motivated knowing that that's the future that they're headed into as a young person. I feel that um, that's sort of something that a lot of people I gather are pretty scared about and 
Do do you uh, sort of explore the motivations behind the F? So I suppose uh, why a person might be driven to go into environmental activism and how that affects the effectiveness, sorry. Yes. (laughs) Not speaking very well. Yeah, there's some really good research on the psychology of activism. So Mm -hmm. what causes people to, to start to take action because it is a big step. It's actually a small percentage of people who will... Uh, who will go on to activism, which is important, I think, to state that that is sort of public displays of what you want to change. Yeah. So so not necessarily the stuff you do at home, like mm-hmm. uh, composting your waste, but actually trying to talk to your MPs or do petitions or do, or do protests. That's a small group of people. Mm-hmm. But we do know there are some um, psychological factors. Generally, you have to feel angry about something mm-hmm. or feel a sense of injustice. Mm-hmm. You have to feel like what you're doing is effective in some way that's why I hope my research can help show that you also have to identify as an environmentalist Mm -hmm. that's why when people bring out those stereotypes those negative stereotypes of activists inside a little bit of yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. and then the last thing which is not necessarily so strong but I know it is for me and for the people I know which is a sense of moral obligation Mm -hmm. and I think it's really relevant for the environmental movement that we feel morally compelled to take action so those kind of four factors are really important but also the outcomes of like the school strikers the the young people taking action even though it can feel so demoralizing and so negative they're actually changing norms they're changing stereotypes so I think that's a real power of the school strikers it's not you know old sort of dreadlocked hippies uh, that are up in a tree. I've heard, when I've interviewed activists, I've heard all of these stereotypes coming yeah. up. They're yeah. trying to go against it. But yeah. the school strikers just have incredible power in actually sort of challenging that. Yeah, mm. their organisation has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Only Human on 4ZZZ and Z Digital. And I just want to send out a shout out to Scott from Highgate Hill who just subscribed to 4ZZZ. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. We were just listening to All Made Up by Squidgenini. Uh, so today we are talking to Robin Gulliver. She's a researcher, environmental advocate and author of a new book, The Advocates, Women Within the Australian Environmental Movement. The book is described as nine never-before-told stories of remarkable women and their courageous pursuits of climate justice in Australia. Could you uh, fill us in on... Um, the kind of the journey that led you to write a book, uh, quite a, you know, an undertaking. Yeah, sure. I began when I was doing my PhD, and I was interviewing some people for a PhD project. Mm-hmm. And I had been an activist for quite a while and knew that everybody pretty much in activism, almost everybody is a volunteer, Mm -hmm. and there generally tends to be more females than males. Certainly when we do environmental surveys, there's more females that answer as well. And yet when I was doing the research and the reading, it was hard to find stories about women. So this was just at the back of my head. And then I started interviewing some people, and I remember two in particular. Mm-hmm. One was Jane in Perth, and she was telling me her story on Zoom, because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned that she became an environmental activist because her house that they'd bought in Perth, her, her first house in a working-class suburb, Bellevue, uh, they found out it was just across the road from a toxic waste dump. And a few years later, after they had discovered this by not being able to garden, because her husband's arm would get covered in a rash whenever they'd try to garden, Mm. it actually exploded. 
exploded wow. across the side of the road. And this is something I had never heard of before, either in New Zealand, where I'm from, or in Australia. And then the second story was from a woman called Jill in Victoria. And she was telling me she had been active trying to look after forests mm. in Victoria for a long time. And it was very hard for her. She had received a lot of abuse. She had her horse shot. It was a challenging situation. And these stories I just felt were really, really powerful and also needed to be told. And it was really important to me that the stories that I told, which I had said to one of the women, wow, that's an amazing story. We should write a book. And then when I said that, you know, you have to do it. Yes. Kind of, you're tied to it. Follow through with it, yeah. (laughs) It was really important to me that the stories that went in the book were from A, volunteers, Mm -hmm. and B, women who do a whole variety of different sorts of environmental advocacy. Right. Cool. Well, I think that, um, was there one story in particular that stood out to you, Jill and another lady? Um, Jill and Jane. Yeah, there were lots of women whose name started with J in the book, and I (laughs) have no idea why. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a famous Brisbane one, right? There there were three from Queensland, actually, uh, and two of those women I had already met before. Mm. One was Jan, who does a lot of climate advocacy and has for many years. Her story, the bit I remember the most, is she went to Terrania Creek Mm -hmm. uh, protest a while ago, but she went there with her boyfriend and they just stayed the night and she happened to correspond with that time when the Mm -hmm. police came in. She was quite young and she said, I was just so scared, I just ran away. (laughs) (laughs) That really resonated. Yep. And then um, also the next person was June Norman, who Mm -hmm. only began taking environmental issues really seriously in her 60s, possibly her 70s, I think, Mm. and now is just doing everything she can in any way to raise awareness in the environment. Her most impressive thing that I found personally was walking the length of the Great Barrier Reef. Right, yeah. It's huge. You can see it from space. That's a that's a feat. It yeah. is, yeah. But the great thing about June and actually some of the women in the book as well is that they say specifically you do not have to walk the length of the Great Barrier Reef to do something about the environment. You really <laughs> yes. don't. So yeah. the majority of the women in the in the book are actually spent say thirty, forty, fifty years just doing other stuff for the environment. Yeah, and I think that's something that maybe listeners um, and people who haven't. Uh, been an activist before they're interested in it um you know what were people's maybe you know like they're dipping their toe into Mm. kind of different movements and then um you know deciding to really you know commit to it and invest because it is an investment you know i think uh like you said before it's it's not a a big part of part of population you know i think and the reason being that you know investing your energy in something that is quite taxing you don't it can be very difficult yes the sort of um the what you're putting in doesn't always it isn't always reflected in the results so you kind of maybe gambling a little bit as well yes and the other thing with the book is that i do try to dispel a stereotype as well that environmental activism has to involve protest Mm -hmm. because it really really doesn't Mm -hmm. and engaging in protest and being a protester is actually really psychologically challenging as well Mm -hmm. so i really wanted to portray in the book all the stuff these women have achieved 
many of whom haven't engaged in protest at all. Mm. So one particular one that stands out as well when you mentioned the people first coming in to wanting to do something about the environment, yeah. uh, there was Heather also in Brisbane. She does bush care, land care and started Bulimba Creek Catchment Coordinating Committee which mm-hmm. is a fabulous catchment group doing stuff for the environment here. Yeah. The other person that came to mind was Caro. Uh, Caro and her colleague at the time, they were working, but they decided to start a new website and it's called Be In. Can I swear? Be sure. In, <laughs> Be An <in> Unfucker. <laughs> and it was, it, it was designed, because they are fabulous designers, mm-hmm. it was designed at the time to encourage people who didn't know much about the environment, didn't know what to do, didn't, weren't aware, mm-hmm. but just to do one thing. Yeah. So it's the classic kind of take your reusable cup. Um, try wash your clothes in cold water rather than hot water. Yeah. And the reason why I found this really interesting that they created this website is because me and other people, some people I know as activists, we are aware that there are lots of people who don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But most things we do are targeted at people who do know what to do yes. and do already want to join a group or come to a protest or whatever. But there's a huge population around yes. the world of people who don't know what to do. So Caro and her website was specifically designed for these people. I thought that was a really powerful yeah, form of activism. That is brilliant. Yeah. Because I think that um, with the way that people engage with social issues, you know, it, it sort of takes time to um, understand your values and uh, take that that leap, I guess, into into Absolutely. action, moving from, you know, the emotion, the yep. sort of the anger, the feeling of injustice, and then kind of... Yes, can take Actually, a long time. Yeah, yeah, it can, I think. Um, that's a really important, I think, um, and for activist groups, a really important, like, kind of, like, not exactly pushing people, but kind of going, like, we need you, yeah. you know, going and well, garnering, yeah, we gathering do. support. Especially when we acknowledge that we need to change the systems mm. that, that kind of drive our society, that's a big ask and we need a lot of people involved. Mm. But even as a long-term activist, which is, I guess, how I see myself, I still think that it's important to be aware that you can't do everything. And so I have three criteria if I become involved in a certain group of campaign. It has to be something I enjoy. And speaking to long-term activists, this is number one. You mm. can't sustain it unless you're paid. You can't sustain it as a volunteer unless you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. The second thing, can I do this thing? Can I actually go to this, say, meeting yes. or do I have childcare? Or can yes. I not, you know, get, there's no bus in or something. So can you do it? And the third thing is, do I think it will be effective? Mm. So those are the three things that make my choice about whether I get involved in something. And I do wonder whether for people who haven't been involved and they're thinking about it, whether they're aware that it needs to be something they enjoy, needs to be something they can do, and it needs to be effective. Mm. Because I do meet lots of people who join a group, perhaps, and then it's really not the group for them. It's not the type of activism they might want to do. But it's quite demoralising, and then they might never come back. Mm. Whereas there's so many groups, there's so many things you can do. You just need to find the one that you enjoy, that you can do, and that's effective. Yeah, I just want to touch on something you mentioned there about um, people's abilities because obviously the show is um, run by people with disabilities and about um, disability justice. How, how do um, people with disabilities, you know, engage with this movement? Because I've, uh, you know, noticed um, 
a lot of people sort of disparage like social media activism and things like that, but it's one of the most accessible forms of activism as well. So, um, you know, did you um, explore sort of online activism and things like that with um, environmental issues? Absolutely. And it is something that's close to my heart as well, because I'm functionally deaf without my hearing aids. Mm -hmm. And so what the pandemic has brought, as well as widespread pain and suffering, actually a transition to the online world, which is good for me personally because I can Bluetooth to my hearing aids mm-hmm. and so it I think has opened up huge potential and just last week I kind of joined in on an online hour of action against the Kuri Kuri gas plant mm-hmm. that they're trying to build for basically very few good legitimate reasons all online so empowering yeah I sent them a message afterwards saying I think that's one of the best enjoyable actions I have actually participated in for a long time yeah so that's good for people who enjoy online stuff but it doesn't resolve other barriers Mm. um physical barriers and also sometimes just just that it's challenging being a person with a disability feeling like you have to ask for something extra yeah I I don't know that's how I was brought up if I wanted anything to sort of help me with my hearing I felt like I was being the inconvenience yes so I think we've still got a long way to go with that but it's great that people are talking about it Mm. and we are making steps this is where your research intersects with mine (laughs) because I've looked at at what um enables people with disabilities to be involved in community radio but also I saw a lot of literature while I was doing that about people being involved in environmental and other issues with disabilities and you you probably noticed that the Greens in particular have quite a lot of uh, people with disabilities in their party now so Mm -hmm. I guess the Green Movement and other activist organisations tend to be places where people can feel included and belong where they may not have access to other forms of social inclusion in the community. I guess that... um that two-pronged, I'm sure there's, you know, it's it's a little bit more complex, but that feeling of um, being amongst friends, being amongst people who are like you, who look like you, have similar issues to you, and also the the practical element of like, can I can I be there? You know, can I can I get into the building? You know, can I communicate and be like, am, am I going to be heard there? I think is the other part of it. Mm. Is my voice uh, is my is my contribution valued here? And I think. You know, um, that's maybe one of those um, elements where people are quite driven with this goal and they're looking towards, you know, this is what we need to do without saying, we can actually bring more people into this if we change our approach and, you know, um, understand that... um, a more diverse movement is a stronger movement. I think that was one of the good things about Friends of the Earth is that all of my older children all were Friends of the Earth babies. They used to go there all the time with me and it was totally okay for me to bring them to meetings and things like that. Yeah, having women and like understanding that part of raising a family is that you can't always, you need, you know, you need to have someone to look after your children and the idea that, you know, I think having a child-friendly space as well, not somebody kind of going like oh there's a child crying or there's a child with needs like, i wouldn't like say triple z is the most child-friendly space but that's my two children sitting out there yeah right <laughs> yeah it's um and i think that um that i just was thinking about something you said earlier about the um campaigns that targeted corporations and businesses were really um i suppose more effective was that in comparison to um, the targeting governments? Is that the... Yes, so there's a variety of groups that can be targeted. Mm -hmm. Governments and politicians is obviously a big one that Mm -hmm. is a target, uh, whether that's local, state, federal politicians, 
Australian government. Then you've got businesses. You can also, there's um, often targeted sort of institutions like universities or um, health funds or pension funds. I mean, they're partly businesses too, but there's a lot of different targets. Also, some campaigns target individuals. So Mm -hmm. it might be, can you, that's right, reduce your meat consumption. So the thing about businesses is that uh, we guess in a way, that they're much easier to sway than politicians. Mm-hmm. They're much easier to pivot and they have almost, I'm not quite sure the right way to say it, but almost feels like sometimes a greater responsibility because their profit depends on their customers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not always, but often. Mm-hmm. Whereas politicians really should have the greatest obligation to the community of all. You'd think so. But <laughs> in practice, it's very hard to get them to move their positions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, you can you see that that's effective because... Quite often, this same thing comes up with politicians. Oh, let's ban that kind of protest that causes an economic damage to to uh, to corporations. Mm. Yes, well, we have a, uh, done another book actually about specifically climate change, civil resistance in Australia. We tracked it over the last ten years, and to look and see what's been achieved through that civil resistance. So this is more protesty type of activism, mm-hmm. and something that is interesting is the ways that democratic countries, so Australia, has attempted to repress that protest, and it is through things like increasing trespass laws, increasing fines or prison terms for, ironically I think it was New South Wales a few years ago tried to introduce um, prison terms for wearing a mask at a protest, things like that, banning people from going on private property. Mm-hmm. So there are a range of measures that democratic countries can use actually to repress protest. Mm. I think we should go to a song, but yes, before we do, do you just want to tell people who are listening how they can get hold of the, of the book we were talking so about. So we've been talking about Robin's book The Advocates Women Within the Australian Environmental Movement and it's available on the website of Melbourne University Press and we can put that link up on our Facebook page. We'll definitely do that. Yes. We'll be back in a minute to talk to Robin about how uh, people who are listening might want to be involved in climate action what might be effective. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today Robin. We've covered a lot yeah. in this um this uh, this hour. So um, at the moment, I imagine that a lot of people are feeling pretty worried about the impacts of climate change and potentially the um, the nature of it, whether it's irreversible, whether it's you know something that we can act on. Um, do you have any advice for people who who want to take the plunge and become an activist, um, a climate change activist? Absolutely. The best thing you can do, especially if you feel despair and overwhelming sadness about the latest IPCC report or any other IPCC report, to be honest, um, is to do something. Mm-hmm. It is it is from, from me and from what people I've talked to as well is the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. And in a way, sometimes, most of the time actually, I feel like it's to a certain extent irrelevant what you do, yep. but you do something. Again, yeah. those three criteria, do something you enjoy something you can do and something that will be effective in some way. So in in my life I've had ups and downs about being involved in activism. It's a very difficult thing to sustain over the long term as a volunteer. But I've found now as I get older that there is one thing that I can always do no matter what, which is a bush care group. Mm -hmm. So we've got a bush care group out in East Brisbane and we do native tree seed raising stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few more trees in the ground is not going to solve our problems. But, geez, it it makes me feel like I can go back to the other stuff. Yeah, and that feeling, I think, um, come across maybe a a tweet or something uh, that touched on how when people are feeling they are 
in despair. Like there is a lot of grief around this um, this this future that we're facing, and uh, how engaging in something, doing something, actually brings a little bit of control into it. And you're saying, actually there is a possible better future there is maybe an alternative to to what we um what the predictions are so um alter like thinking um in the the uh the alternate the groups the environmental groups um what what sort of um tactics do you, do you think they can employ to mobilize people to to get them interested to get them active well, thinking back again to the research that I've done with long-term environmental activists, which almost always involves people who have either formed or organised groups, mm -hmm. it's just a natural progression, and also my experience is that the number one thing groups can do if they want people to join and actually be active in their group is to be welcoming. Mm. to make people feel like they're part of a community yeah. and that they're actually wanted and what they do is valuable. And that, that can be really hard because these vo these groups are volunteers. Yeah. So, for example, um, if someone comes into the group, they're interested, they've emailed, they come along to the meeting, you've got a hundred other things to do in your meeting or whatever you're at busy at, you have to take the time to find out what drives that person yeah. and find a place for them. Yeah. And I think this is what often is the bit that gets me down, so I go back to the bush here and plant some trees, is um, it's hard to do that as a volunteer, but also everybody has something to give. You just have to find what they can give you and find a place for that. Yes. Um, and so the other thing you can do aside from that is let's say you just want participants in your activism stuff. You don't want people to come to your meetings and help organise. Well then think back about those four things we talked about that drive people. Mm -hmm. You have to feel angry. You have to feel like what you do is efficacious or will be useful. Mm -hmm. um, you have to feel that sense of maybe injustice and that you identify as an environmentalist and a moral conviction. Yeah. So in communications, on the websites, at protests, anything that's going on, yeah. you try and think, how can I trigger those four feelings? Yeah, I really like that, you know, um, that saying, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? Yeah. Like that kind of idea that there is this urgency. There is um, this I idea that like, who's gonna who's gonna be the movement like who's gonna propel this and who's going to kind of um that idea of taking the responsibility it's like you know why should we as you know um individuals and uh, particularly young people i think it's like you know a lot of corporations are, are responsible i believe for a hundred corporations are responsible for 70 percent of emissions so you know why are we shouldering the burden yeah. of you know people who who uh you know ruin the climate for for the sake of a dollar but know. that's why it's really meaningful if all people can do is sit down on the computer once a week and email one of those companies and say, yeah. why can't you go you yeah. know, zero emissions? If, yeah. that's, if that's the only activism you have time for and that you enjoy, yeah. that is meaningful. Watching where your dollar actually goes. A little bit, although I'm, I'm not into the private stuff and not into saying we should all buy 100% ethical, all that stuff. Because people I've talked to as well, when you're in a, a grocery or a supermarket store, yeah. Honestly, how can you know that what you buy yeah. is perfect ethically? It is not possible for consumers I've to do that. I've been seeing a lot of um, super funds, like uh, ethical super funds, mm. being advertised to me. So yes. what, do you have any thoughts? Um, well, there is a big campaign against Uni Super, I think it is, oh, okay. which is refusing yeah. to divest. It says right, that working yeah. on the inside is a positive thing to do. Mm. So that's a debate that can be had. Mm. But at the same time, I feel like, yeah, we need to focus on changing the system. And 
also that can be done in many different ways mm. so yes it is urgent but I find the one thing that gets me down the most is when I think it's so urgent and what I do is so meaningless I reckon that's really counterproductive yeah so sometimes I feel like let's just say this is the world needs to be an environmentally friendly place it has to be mm. yeah if I can't do this tomorrow that's okay yeah. it's still okay yeah. I can do it in a week or a year or whatever mm. I think there's uh, something to be said I think for um, kind of understanding, yeah, that it is important to have like maybe a range of tactics. And that's what you um, mentioned very early on in the show was uh, upwards of 2,000 individual kind of groups and campaigns. That's something that that really surprised me, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, look at the school strike. There's little groups right across Australia. There's over 100 Sopadani groups. And also there are groups that none of us probably have ever heard about. They're just busy in their local communities. Yes. Yes. Working in your local community is a really great way. You know, I think there's that um, feeling of like, uh, especially when when it's like a multinational company and feeling like, you know, how as an Australian are we supposed to impact, you know, a, a company owned by a person um, in another country or people in another country. But this idea that you can, you know, you can um, influence, you know, your neighbours and your community and kind of work work within something that, actually impacts you know people around you absolutely directly. some great groups actually are saying we're not going to do activism what we're going to do is show what the future looks like yeah so we're going to create yeah. a zero emission town right. or we're going to create a new form of social enterprise that actually helps people yeah yeah that's really inspiring and that's actually one of the uh principles of this show too that we we t- might tell you some horror stories about what's going on in the world but at the end of it we try to give you something to do with that you know yeah. that you can move on from being angry or horrified and, and actually take some action Yes, all you need to do is look around. It sometimes takes a bit of digging, but in Brisbane, for example, there'd be hundreds of potential groups that you could join and um, participate in. You just need to look. You need to take the time to find the group that suits for you. might yep. take time. I just did a quick Google of, of Facebook and found that there's actually an event on this evening if people are interested in joining uh, or finding out about Extinction Rebellion. So, you know, they've got a bit of bad press with the gluing themselves to roads and stuff. But I love to see those young people out there fighting against being going extinct. Yes. <laughs> so tonight they're having an online um, Grow the Rebellion Welcome and Orientation event. And if you go to Facebook, you can find that event. It's called Grow the Rebellion. It's on tonight at uh, 5.30. So that's one event that you can be involved in. But there's heaps of events going on around Brisbane and South East Queensland on Facebook. So it seems to be your main way that environment groups organise. There is a lot on Facebook, yeah. But also just on the internet, and they do use Eventbrite often. The great thing about groups like Extinction Rebellion as well is they have what's sometimes called affiliate groups. So um, parents, Extinction Rebellion parents, or doctors, Extinction Rebellion. Mm. So you can find people that are like-minded as well that might have different strategies for creating change. That's right. You don't have to glue yourself to a road, do you? Exactly. There's so many other things you can do. Absolutely. (laughs) We might link um, that event and some other events um, on our Facebook page in yes. addition to um, the link to Robin's book so the book that we've been discussing with Robin uh, is called The Advocates Women Within the Australian Environmental Movement um, so thank you very much we've 
had a very informative, um, very quite motivating discussions. Oh, good. Making me feel like I should, you know, return to some of the things that I was doing. So um, we might go to a song. Well, it's time for us to go, actually. So yep. maybe we just want to remind people that if you're interested in that book, The Advocate, it's from the Melbourne University Press. Is That's that right? It. Yep. And also Robin has... Uh, quite a lot of writing available on Social Change Lab's website if you want to yes. see what we Robin says. We have a free book that's coming out as well called Climate Change Civil Resistance in Australia and that should be ready in a couple of weeks. Oh, we, we will definitely advertise that on our website when it comes available because we all need to get involved in, in uh, making change happen on the climate front, don't we? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll sign off. You've been listening to Only Human with Kim and Belle. Thank you so much for being here, Robin, and we'll see everybody, or we'll hear, you'll hear us next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you all. We'll leave you with a song from Missy Higgins, The Difference. You are listening to the Only Human podcast. Only Human is a weekly program on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.